Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rte.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one. This is RTE Radio 1. Tonight's Drama on One is the world premiere of a brand spanking new comedy by Bernard Farrell. Jack and Deirdre are happily married. Well, sort of. After a little tension creeps in around whether Leak Slip is a centre of medical excellence or not, they decide to surprise each other. Starring Stephen Brennan, Janet Moran, Peter Gaynor, Venetia Bowe and Brian Murray, this is The Wedding Anniversary by Bernard Farrell. Slow down and just tell me what this is all about. I told you, it's our wedding anniversary and we're going to do something you always said you wanted to do. Oh, did I? I said I wanted to be dragged out of bed at six in the morning, did I? said I wanted to be ordered to gobble down my breakfast as fast as I could, did Nobody I? Nobody rushed you. out into the car still pulling on my clothes. Oh yes, warm clothes, And then driven important. at this suicide speed out of Dublin into County Meath or are we in County Kildare? It's or County the... Meath. And, oh, now hold on, this is a big bump in the road here. <laughs> oh merciful oh. God, Jack, are you trying to kill us or what? I said hold on. And oh Jack, and again, Jack, our Jack. sharp end here. Hold on. Jack, Jack, we're not going to make it. Jack, we won't make it, Jack. Jack. We made it. Not far to go now. Not far to where? And why at this speed? Because we're already late as it is. Late for what? You'll see, and you'll love it. Nearly there now. Look, I'm slowing down. Slowing down now. Now turning in here. You're turning into a deserted field in the middle of nowhere. Oh, it's not deserted. Wait till you see. Once we get over this bit of hilly ground... Oh, the bones are being shaken out of me. Oh, Just keep watching. Are you watching, Deirdre? No, I'm not. And I can tell you now, whatever all this is about, it's not worth it. Oh, it is. Now, look down over there to the right. Do you see it? See what? Oh, my God. Oh, my merciful God. It's like an apparition. Isn't it just? Look at the colours of it. And the size of it. Such a beautiful hot air balloon. Absolutely. And all pumped up with hot air ready to fly. And Deirdre, that's where we're going. Going? We're not going up in it, are we? Of course we are. This is my anniversary surprise for you this year. And isn't it one of the things you always said you wanted to do? Yes, it is. Oh, Jack, this is a wonderful surprise. Better than last year's surprise? Oh, much better. Worth the last 40 years with me, is it? Oh, yes. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. This is definitely your best anniversary surprise ever. And did you really mean that, Deirdre? I know that we are talking about 11 months ago, but when you said those words, the best anniversary surprise ever, 
Did you really mean them? Oh, yes. In that moment, I did. I always wanted to go up in a hot air balloon. Always. Mm. So in that moment, you didn't feel any fear? Any threat? No. I was delighted. But on your previous year's anniversary, as you recounted in one of our earlier sessions, you were also delighted when Jack took you potholing. Well, yes, I and was. And we know how that turned out. How you could have died when your underground helmet torch suddenly and mysteriously failed. And Jack, instead of helping you, actually disappeared, leaving you hundreds of feet beneath the ground with no yes, one yes, to help that's you. that's all true. But as I also explained before, on our anniversaries, Jack always liked to surprise me. Ah, surprise you? Or frighten you? Pardon? I recall you saying before that you thought he liked to frighten you. And especially on each anniversary. Well, yes, all right, frighten then. But most of the time it was like the way that children like to frighten their brothers or sisters by hiding behind a door and then jumping out. It's all affectionate. I see. And don't forget that early in our marriage, as soon as I realised that Jack was afraid of animals, all animals, not only lions and tigers, but cats, dogs, even cows, <laughs> I always teased him about that and, and, yes, frightened him too. Like when I gave him the Killer Cats video or the man-eating crocodile video for Christmas or said I was thinking about getting a pet Alsatian dog for our house. Well, yes, but those perhaps were more everyday surprises. Jokes. But his yearly anniversary surprises were quite different, were they not? Well, that's true. The potholing surprise really did frighten the life out of me. Indeed. And yet when you saw the hot air balloon and heard of his plans, you felt no fear at all. No, not at that time. So when did that change? From your more positive feelings of excitement and anticipation to ones of fear and threats to your life? Well... I think that was maybe when Jack stopped the car and started to talk about Johnny Thunder. Johnny Thunder? I think I'll just drive a bit closer to the balloon. Then we can walk over from there. Oh, lovely. And I can see now why you packed all these bags. And oh, things. yes. All planned food to eat and warm clothes to wear while we're up there in the skies. Oh, it's a great surprise, Jack. I love it. Oh, and it gets better because... There'll be just the three of us going up. Three of us? What three of us is that? You, me and the pilot. It's an exclusive flight, Deirdre, just for us. Really? Oh, Jack, that sounds great. <laughs> I think we'll park here so we don't get in their way. All right, now, what will I carry? You carry nothing. Leave all that to me. I have everything. Oh, all right. Uh, are you sure there's only three of us going up? There's a good few people around the balloon. Yes, all waiting for us to arrive. So we better start walking now. They're all Johnny Thunder's ground crew. Johnny Thunder? Who's Johnny Thunder? He's our pilot. <laughs> our real great guy is Johnny. How oh, do you know him? Do I know him? Didn't I... Go to school with Johnny. I must have mentioned Johnny at some time. No, I don't remember you oh, ever mentioning That's probably because he used to be called Sean O'Reilly then. But as soon as he became famous, especially after he flew single-handed over the Andes in South America in his balloon in the middle of a thunderstorm, then he became Johnny Thunder. Oh, Johnny is now a legend in the world of aviation, especially balloon flying. 
Mind you don't walk with that cow dung there. What? Oh, thanks. I was too busy looking over at the balloon. Uh, and there's another one. Another balloon? No, another cow pad. Oh, right. Oh, they're everywhere, aren't they? <laughs> they are indeed. But mercifully, no cows that I can see. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all those people holding the ropes, they're the crew, are they? Johnny Thunders. Indeed they are. His ground crew. All highly trained and doing all this just for us. <laughs> Lovely. And the man in the basket squirting that fire thing up into the balloon. That's it. That's Johnny. Shooting the propane gas up into the balloon for our liftoff. Oh, look, he's seen us. Give him a wave. <laughs> We've arrived, Johnny. Ah, look, he's waving back. Right. I think he's telling us to hurry up. Increase the pace there, Deirdre. Oh, all right. He, he looks a lot older than you, Jack. With the white beard and the white hair. Oh, yes, uh, but, uh, don't mention any of that. His old health has aged him badly. But he, he likes to think positively, no matter what the doctors say. The doctors? Uh, but, but we're safe going up with him, aren't we? Of course we are. Johnny is one of life's great survivors, and he said he's delighted to come out of retirement to do all this just for us. Out of retirement? Oh, well, but say nothing about that either. At the time, he had no choice but to retire. Ah, Johnny! What a great morning. Perfect for flying, is it? More than perfect, Jack. But we need to go soon to get the right wind. Oh, absolutely. Walk faster there, Deirdre. I'm walking as fast as I can. So, uh, how do we get into the basket, Johnny? We have steps around the other side. And welcome to your good lady. Uh, Deirdre! Nice to meet you, Johnny. And you too, Daphne. Hurry along now. Uh, we are, Johnny. Did you hear what he called me? Uh, just ignore that. His hearing isn't the best. Uh, around here, uh, Johnny, is it? Yes, yes. Tracy will look after you there. Tracy, look after Jack and Daphne there. Will do, Captain. Hi, folks. Over here and welcome. I'm Tracy, Captain Thunder's ground crew coordinator. Oh, oh pleased to meet you, Tracy. Yes, hello, Tracy. Sure, and back at you. Now, no time to lose. Come quickly round here and climb up those steps and into the basket. We're ready for liftoff. So, need to go, go, go. Oh, <laughs> right. Thank you, Tracy. Come on, Deirdre. Here, take these bags and follow me up. And then hand them in to me while you get in. She's very young, isn't she, to have a big job like that? Oh, I'd say she's highly trained. Look, she has headphones and everything. Come on, folks. A little less conversation, a little more action. All right, Tracy. Oh, these steps are a bit bockety. Be careful, Jack. Be careful climbing in. I am careful. Stop worrying. I'll just grip the edge of the basket and... Down I go. (laughs) There, now I'm in. Now, now, you climb up and hand me down all that stuff. And then you climb in. Now, quick as you can, Deirdre. Right, right. There's the bags. Oh, a bit of a wind up here, isn't there? Ah, never mind all that. Just climb in. I am, I am. Oh, there's a big drop down into the basket. Uh, not at all. Here, just give me your hand. Oh, Jack, I don't think I can. God's sake, Deirdre, they're all waiting. Oh, I know. As soon as you can, folks. Just grab the edge of the basket and hoosh yourself in. That's it, Daphne. Forget all about dignity and style. Just tumble in. I am, Johnny. There, I'm... I'm nearly up there. Ah, now, there. Now, you're in. Now, well done, well done. And welcome on board, Daph. Just relax there now. 
Thank you, Johnny. Yes, uh, thank you, Johnny. And no problem, but my wife's real name is Deirdre, not Daphne. Oh, sure, that's a much better name. And sometime in flight, Deirdre, you must tell me why Jack sometimes calls you Daphne. I say there's a good story there. Uh, well, no, Johnny, in fact, yeah, no, no, you know... No, never mind all that now, Deirdre. Just stand up straight there. Now, look, you can rest your elbows on the basket's edge and look over. Oh, yes. Lovely. Very comfortable. Yep. Make yourselves very comfortable there, folks, while I give her another blast. What? Oh, I, I see. You mean the balloon. Oh, well, that's a big lick of fire, isn't it? That has to be just right for our liftoff. Okay, ground crew, stand by to let her go. All set, Captain. Just say when. Oh, my God. Look, we're, we're lifting up, Deirdre. Look, we're lifting up off the ground. Oh, we are, we are. Crew, let go ropes. Thank you. Tracy, time to check two-way radio. Checking now, Captain. Ground crew to Captain Thunder. Ground crew to Captain Thunder. Over. Receiving you loud and clear, ground crew. Chase crew, keep us in sight as you track us. I reckon that the current conditions will take us southeast at max of 1,000. Over. Copy that, Captain. Southeast at max of 1,000. Over. Roger that. And be advised, I'm leaving me radio open on loudspeaker if you wish to make contact with us in flight. Over. Roger that, Captain. We'll chase, observe and track you to your landing. Safe journey. Over. Thank you, crew. Over and out. Okay, Jack and Deirdre, that's the end of the technical stuff. Now, you two just relax and enjoy the occasion. We will. And listen to that silence, Deirdre. Oh, it's lovely. And that nice, gentle breeze. Well, that breeze will soon disappear, folks, because we will be taken by the wind, moving at the wind speed. But let's get higher up. I'm aiming for a thousand feet, folks. Perfect viewing altitude. Hmm. You know your stuff, Johnny. All very technical. Yeah. You're in good hands, folks. In the sky and on the ground. Thank you, Johnny. And Jack, look how much we've gone up already. Look! <laughs> yeah. Tracy and the ground crew are tiny. Oh, look at them all getting into their cars. Uh. And look at our car where we parked it. It's like a little dinky toy. <laughs> Quite right, Daphne. And now our ground crew has become our chase crew. In their cars, tracking us all the way. And they'll drive you back to your car from wherever we eventually land. So there's no worries there. And do you know exactly where we will land, Johnny? Of course he does. Well... More or less. Basically, we just go where the wind takes us, at the varying altitudes we choose. But myself and my crew have carefully checked all the climactic conditions, wind direction, thermal observations, and for all the distances. And we've travelled a good distance already, haven't we? Oh, we have indeed. And off to the right there, you can see Maynooth University. Oh. And nearby to it, St. Patrick's College, founded in 1795. Now... An interesting fact is, Maynooth is the only university town in Ireland. All the other universities are in cities. Oh, well, that's interesting, all right. And will we be going over Maynooth, Johnny? Not on this trip, Daphne, I'm afraid. For you personally, this time, we will be sailing over a much more interesting place. Oh, that sounds exciting. I think so, too, provided I keep this baby at the right altitude. Oh, there we are. 
perfect altitude now. And Jack, did you bring your binoculars? Yep, have them here, Johnny. Good, because soon, believe it or not, we'll be passing over Leakslip. Will we? Already? Brilliant. Why? What's in Leakslip? Uh, well, Jack was saying that you said you'd love to see Leakslip from the sky. Did I? I don't remember saying that. Oh, I think you did, Deirdre. Anyway, whether or which, we'll soon be over Leakslip. You are very quiet, Deirdre. Perhaps you'd like to take a little break. Oh, no, my apologies. I was just remembering something that maybe I should have told you earlier. Oh, yes? Maybe I should have told you weeks ago, but I didn't think it was relevant then. Not to worry. Do you wish to tell me now? Yes. Well, you asked me earlier, when in the hot air balloon did I first really get frightened, feel really threatened? Yes. When did your earlier positive feelings change? Yes. Well, I now think that really happened when I heard the word leak slip. Leak slip? Yes. And I apologise. I know I should have told you all this weeks ago, but leak slip has always been a constant flashpoint of conflict, of accusation and argument in our recent married life. I see. And why was that? Well, simply because leak slip is where my dentist is. And it is therefore about an hour's drive from our house. And Jack was at first always annoyed and later always angry because it was so far and so frequent. And I could never understand it. I was attending my dentist, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Indeed. And there was no other reasons why he oh, might feel... eventually he made no secret of the reasons that were festering inside that head of his. It was plain jealousy. Jealousy? Of your dentist? Yes. And for no reason, all in his imagination, all his suspicions, eventually accusing me of God knows what. Like what? Oh, everything he could think of. I only had to mention that I was going to leak slip and he'd be off. What? You have to go to him again? You were there only two weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Yeah, all right, three weeks ago and two weeks before that. Jack, I have to look after my teeth. Every few weeks for the past year. For God's sake, how many teeth do you have? A great white shark doesn't have as many teeth as you seem to have. And most people I know put off going to the dentist. But you, oh, oh, you're up early, all dressed up as though you're going to a cocktail party. Your teeth gleaming before you even get near the man. And then back home with an appointment to be off to him again. Yes! And I'm going to keep going because I love my teeth and I want to keep them. And how dare you say that I have a mouth of teeth like a great white shark? Well, shark or no shark, let me tell you this. The next time you're going to see this dentist of yours, I'll be going with you to see what the hell he's up to and what you're up to, you and him and this so-called dentistry. I see. And did he ever... I mean, did he ever actually go with you to... Oh, no, no, never. Simply because that was the last time I went to the dentist in Leakslip, apart from one six-month checkup after that. I see. And Jack was happy with that? Well, yes, he was. But then soon after, I also had to go to my chiropodist every two or three weeks. And he, by coincidence, was also in Leakslip. Your chiropodist was in Leakslip? Yes, because he had been recommended to me by my dentist. And they practised quite near each other, in Leakslip. I see. 
And was Jack equally angry because of the chiropodist in Leakslip? Well, no, not at first, because he had often commented on how I was walking and asking if I was in pain, so he knew I needed a chiropodist. So he was sympathetic to that? He was, but at that time, and I think this was brought on by my posture with the pains in my feet, I began to develop some lower back pain, and I was recommended to a very good chiropractor, and he also had his practice in Leakslip. He was also in Leakslip? Yes, he was. And if you'll excuse me saying this, but that is exactly how Jack used to repeat things back to me. Just like you did now. Oh no, I was just surprised. Exactly as Jack was. And I can still hear his voice in my ears as he'd then break into his usual attack on leak slip in general, making a laugh of everything there as if I was making all this up as I went along. And what I'd like to know is, why is it, when it comes to all medical matters that we hear in Ireland, instead of looking to the Nobel Prize winners in Stockholm, or the advanced medical centres of Geneva or California or the Sorbonne in France, we all ignore those, and instead we all flock to a little sleepy town in the County Kildare called Leakslip. Where, for some unknown reason, all the world's most renowned doctors and dentists, chiropodists and chiropractors, and for all I know, orthopaedic surgeons, heart surgeons and brain surgeons, have all decided to open up their practices and be all delighted to be working on top of one another, all stuffed into the same little town called Leakslip that you can't resist galloping up to and back from day after day or week after week for every little Mickey Mouse thing you think is wrong with you. And now... It only surprises me that you didn't want to have our children delivered in Leakslip and baptised in Leakslip and schooled in Leakslip. In fact, I'm beginning to wonder if you didn't want to have them conceived in Leakslip. Jack, you are now talking like a lunatic. Oh, am I? Then maybe you also know of a world-renowned lunatic asylum in Leakslip that you'd like to have me committed to. And then you could include me in all your mysterious medical visitations to that acclaimed seat of learning and research. I see. Yes, Deirdre, those were very harsh words indeed. Yes, and that is why up in that balloon when I heard Johnny Thunder, not Jack, but Johnny Thunder referring to our arrival over Leakslip, it was then that I knew that Jack had probably told Johnny Thunder all about his suspicions about me and Leakslip. And I then realised suddenly in that balloon up in the sky with just the two of them there that I was in the greatest of danger. So you had to decide in that moment on a course of action. Well, no, I didn't. Because within minutes the most extraordinary, amazing thing happened to Johnny Thunder. Oh, it's a great view, Johnny. Ah, yeah. We're flying nicely now, folks. I'll take it down a bit more, but not too low. You see, I have to be constantly aware of those tall trees over there and maybe electric cables. And then there's those houses over there on the other side. But at the same time, I'd like you both to have a nice, close look at Leakslip. Oh, thanks very much, Johnny. This is exciting, isn't it, Deirdre? Yes. You do know that the translation of Leakslip means lame on Vradoin, the leap of the salmon. Did you know that? Now, I never knew that. Did you know that, Deirdre? No. No? Oh, strange. I thought you would have heard of that at some time or other. Jack, I think it's time to get your binoculars focused. Oh, yeah, right, doing that now. Ah, that looks great. Here, Deirdre, do you want to have a look? No, I'm grand. Oh, suit yourself. Oh, yes, our leak slip looks lovely and peaceful. 
with lots of dogs in those bad gardens. I think that's a Labrador there, or maybe a collie of some sort. You like dogs, do you, Jack? No, Johnny. He's afraid of his life of them. Afraid of dogs? No, don't mind her. I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm not. I'm only afraid of Alsatians and... Ah, come on. We're all afraid of Alsatians, Jack. No, Johnny. He's afraid of all animals. Dogs, cats, even cows. Don't talk nonsense. <laughs> afraid of cows? Mm, all animals, not just lions and tigers, but all of them. Deirdre, would you ever Even just... on television, if he sees a bull, he closes his eyes as tight as he can. I do not. I never, ever... I've seen you. I've seen you. And Johnny, if a leopard or a hippo comes on, he has to leave the room. Ah, Jack, come on. You need to get over that. Just remember that if a lion or a tiger has been fed, you've nothing to fear. But if they're hungry, waiting to be fed, or out hunting for food, well then, that's another story. Look, can we all stop talking about animals? But the same applies to all animals. If they're hungry, give them a wide berth. I know, I know, I know all that. And now, can we just end this conversation here and now? See, Johnny, he's afraid to even talk about them. I'm not. And Deirdre, I know this is your way of getting us away from looking at leak slip. Well, it's just right below us now. Hard to miss. And this is about as low as we can get, folks. Oh, well, it's great, Johnny. Now, Deirdre, tell us... uh, Whereabouts is your dentist's house down there? Oh, is this what this is all about, is it? This is your surprise, is it? What? No, I'm just asking. That's always your excuse, isn't it? I'm just asking. No, it's a simple question. No, I know you, and it's not a simple question. It's just... What? I'm sorry, I... Jack. (coughs) Johnny, are you all right? No, no, Jack. My legs is all weak. I'm not able to... Oh, my God, Jack, he's on his knees. Johnny. Johnny, are you all right? Johnny, take it easy. What's wrong? I feel so weak, Jack. Jack, I'm so sorry. Johnny, oh. Johnny, no! You can't! Stand up! Just get up onto your feet! Jack, he can't! Stop pulling at oh, him! Oh, good God, I think he's fainted. Is he breathing? See if he's breathing! Johnny, for God's sake, say something! Look at me! Oh, God, Deirdre, I think he's gone unconscious. Or maybe... Roll him onto his side. Get him in the recovery position. But I think he's getting worse. Look at him. Johnny, pull yourself together. Get up. We need you here. We can't fly this balloon. Open his clothes. Let him breathe. But he's he's not breathing at all. Oh, God, Deirdre. I think maybe he's not alive. Don't say that. Oh, look. Look, the balloon is going lower and lower. Look! Oh, quick! Squirt some of the fire into it the way he did! Oh, for God's sake, I don't know anything about squirting fire. Ground crew to Captain Thunder. Urgent, urgent, come in. Over. What's that? That's Tracy on his two-way radio. She wants him. Come in, come in, Captain Thunder. Urgent. You're flying too low, too low. Gain altitude at once. Over. Quick, answer it. Tell Tracy he's dead and we don't know what to do. But I don't know how to answer that thing. What, what buttons do I press? Or... Urgent Johnny, please respond. Gain altitude. There's electric cables coming just under you soon. Gain altitude now. Over. Oh my God, Deirdre, we're going to crash and into electric cables. We have to get off this balloon immediately. Get off? No, we can't get off. We'll have to make it go up higher. But we don't know how to. Well, then try Johnny again. Maybe he's just fainted. Slap his face. Slap his face? Look at him. He's lifeless. We just have to jump out of this balloon or we'll be killed on the electric cables. But no, 
We'll be killed if we jump out. No, look, we're heading for the tops of those big bushy trees. Johnny, this is Tracy. You're going to crash. Gain altitude quick. Johnny, what's wrong? Johnny! Answer her, she might tell us what to do. But I don't know how to. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'll press this and, and, and this. And, uh, hello? Tracy, can you hear me? We think Johnny is dead. How do we fly upwards? Tell us, quick. Say over and press something. Over? Hello? Hello? Now it's gone completely dead. Deirdre, there's some trees coming up. We have to jump now or we'll be into those electric cables. No, the trees will kill us. No, they'll break your fall. Come on now, you go first. I'll help you climb up out of the basket. Jack, what are you doing? Get your hands off no, me. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll get you up on the edge of the basket and you jump out into the trees. No, let me go, let me go. No, no, you'll just drop into them. No! Now's your chance. Here they come. The trees are almost here. No, get away from me. Put me down. Get your hands off me. I'm not jumping anywhere. Yeah, yes, you are. It'll save your life. You're trying to kill me. I'm trying to save you. You're nearly over now. No, stop. Let go. Get away from me. I'm trying to save you. No, you are not. Folks, folks, stop. Stop. Look, look. I'm all right. I'm all right. Look. Johnny, you're standing up. You're all right. Yes, yes. I'm grand. Look, look, look. I'm grand. We thought you would... Oh, Johnny, look. Look, we're falling out of the sky. We're going to crash. No, we're not. I'm your captain. I'll get her up again. Just needs a few bursts of gas. Oh, thank God. Thank God. We're going up. Look, Deirdre, we're going up again. We are indeed. But we came very close to ditching there. But we'll be all right now. Oh, thank God. All under control now. But what happened to you, Johnny? Ah, I sometimes get these blackouts. I think it's... There's prescriptions that they have me on. They keep changing them all the time. We thought you were dead. Oh, someday I will be. But not today, folks. <laughs> oh, look! Up and up we go! And just in time. <laughs> you never told me you got blackouts, Johnny. Jack, you never asked me. <laughs> That's a good point. I never did, did I? No. You did not. <laughs> uh, the old jokes are the best. Am I right or am I right? <laughs> Every time, Jack. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> and they were still laughing on and off, looking at each other and then laughing again as we flew beyond Leakslip, further into Kildare and into Meath, and sometimes Johnny talking on his two-way radio to Tracy and his chase crew off on the ground somewhere beneath us. And all the time, I never said a word. I just stood there, shaking and speechless, holding tightly onto the rim of the basket until eventually we landed in a field, in Kildare, I think, And Johnny's crew in their cars met us there and drove us back to our own car parked in the field where we left it in County Meath. And only then did I speak again. I see. And can you remember what you said 
when you did speak? Well, I thanked Johnny Thunder for the flight and his ground crew for helping us. And when Jack was driving me home later, I thanked him for the wonderful anniversary surprise. You thanked him? Yes, of course. Because I never knew for certain if his friend Johnny Thunder had really got a blackout. Just as I never knew the year before, deep down that pothole where Jack had brought me and where my lamp had suddenly gone out and where I was left terrified in the dark and where Jack disappeared up to the surface without me and where his friend had then appeared from nowhere and rescued me from that dark, watery, echoing pothole. I could never explain all that then, just as I couldn't explain Johnny Thunder last year. I see, indeed. And last year after you thanked Jack... What did he say about, well, about the whole experience? Oh, he said that he thought Johnny nearly died and how lucky we were not to have to jump to safety and how delighted he was that it all worked out so well, which was exactly what he said to me the previous year, telling me how lucky I was after I was brought to safety from that dark, deep, watery pothole. Interesting. All of which, I suspect, probably makes it so difficult for you now. Now that you have this year's wedding anniversary approaching very soon, what with those experiences and how you may feel and perhaps your realisation of the control Jack has over you and his persuasive behaviour on these anniversaries. Yes, and this is why I particularly wanted to see you today. Well, of course, because of your mounting anxiety of what may be in store for you. And well, no, no. It was because I wanted to tell you that I feel no anxiety whatsoever. Oh. And I've had no nightmares, no panic attacks, because last week I gathered enough strength to suggest to Jack that this time, instead of him giving me an anniversary surprise, that I be permitted to give him the anniversary surprise. Excellent. Well done, you. As I so often suggested, you've declared yourself... You assumed control. Well, yes, because as I said to him, that it's an anniversary for both of us. So we should take turns. And this year will be my turn to provide the surprise for the anniversary. Well done, Deirdre, well done. Well, thank you. But uh, actually, it was my dentist who thought of it. Your dentist? In Leakslip? Yes. I had gone to him for my checkup, And I was just telling him how I felt in the past year. And he came up with a whole idea. Excellent. And when you suggested it to Jack? Oh, well, I didn't tell Jack it was my dentist's suggestion. No, of course not. But Jack was all for it when I told him. Said immediately that would be great fun and promised to do whatever I selected, no matter what. Accepting that you were now in control. Yes, and wondered what surprise I would have for him. Indeed. And have you decided what... Uh... Oh, yes. And it's all worked out great. Better than I expected. Because my dentist has a friend who is actually working in the place where I'm taking Jack. Wonderful. So his friend can get you privileges, perhaps make it extra special. Exactly. Just as Jack could get privileges with a friend working in that potholing place. And last year with his friend Johnny Thunder working in the hot air balloon business. Indeed. So your dentist friend will do the same for you. And maybe even better. Yes, exactly. In fact, he said he can make it a very private visit for us. Like, he has the authority to really open doors for us, get us into places where most people are not usually allowed. Get you the red carpet treatment. Yes, and his influence will allow us, well, allow Jack 
to be up close and personal with everything on view. In fact, opening up that whole world to him. Intriguing. And may I be so bold to ask, where exactly are you taking him? Oh, to the zoo. The zoo? Yes, yes. Beginning where the lions, the leopards and the tigers will be waiting. Waiting? Yes. And maybe not just those animals, maybe also hyenas, prairie dogs and wolves will be there too. And as a surprise, all with open access everywhere, opened up and all just for Jack and they all waiting and waiting. Waiting? For what? Waiting for Jack and all waiting to be fed. We've been listening to The Wedding Anniversary by Bernard Farrell. Stephen Brennan was Jack and Deirdre was played by Janet Moran. Peter Gaynor played Malcolm, the counsellor. Venetia Bow was Tracy and Johnny Thunder was played by Brian Murray. The sound engineer for the production was Mark McGrath and The Wedding Anniversary by Bernard Farrell was produced by Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. And now, In the Wings, a programme in which artists talk about their work. In tonight's programme, writer and actor Miriana Renderlich and director Aoife Spillane-Hinks share their thoughts and experiences about working on Broken Promise Land by Miriana, which is next week's Drama on One. My name is Miriana Rendulic. I'm an actress and a writer, originally from Croatia, living in Ireland. My name is Aoife Spillane-Hinks. I am a theatre director. I grew up in Zagreb, Croatia. I was born in 1979. That was one year after Tito died. Uh, Marshal Tito ran Yugoslavia, which consisted of five countries, and we all lived in unity. Slovenia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro and Serbia. I was born in New Haven, Connecticut in 1984. I'd been coming over to Ireland since I was a kid with my mum. For a good few summers, she and I would just come over, rent a car and just camp out in different places and stay in hostels and just drive around the country. I was born one year after Tito died and uh, that was the time of sort of blooming communism. Things worked, things were good in that time. People came on holidays, Yugoslavian passports were good for travel. I wasn't too aware of any difference or any other life other than that. I remember going to school in the morning, we sang songs to Tito, we looked at his picture. Tito's picture is still in some places in in rural parts of old Yugoslavia. We all became pioneers when we were six years old. We had our little booklets in which we, we swore to Tito and to protect the Yugoslav communist country. There was a long sentence I had to say when I was six years old, which I really found hard to pronounce. And I, I remember practicing before the day I had to take the oath to say Socialistička Federativna Republika Yugoslavia, the Socialist Federative Republic of Yugoslavia. And then when I was about 12 years old, I was waiting to be 12 years old to become um, a communist youth because my sister already was a communist youth. And 
just before I was the right age to become a communist youth, the war broke up and none of this happened. When I was in college, I did folklore and mythology. I went to Harvard University and Harvard didn't have a theatre major at that time. And which was actually great because it meant that instead of just doing classes on theatre, I had to look at this stuff from a different vantage point. So I did folklore and mythology. I should have known from the start that I would have been focusing on Irish folklore and Irish traditional culture because I'd been going to Ireland since I was about 10 or 11 with my mum. The, the first couple of summers that I'd go over with her, we went to Clare to the Fecal uh, Traditional Music Festival there run by you know, Martin Hayes and his family. So we, we used to just camp out behind this pub, Pepper's Pub in Fecal. And uh, we would just kind of go to sessions all day, every day for the duration of the festival. And that was kind of the way that those trips went, was we were in the rented car, eating the Cambridges and smoked salmon and camping out where we could find space. I always wanted to tell stories, whether being an actor or a writer. I had this story in my head. I knew the story because it was based on my own experiences. It was based on my own, my own imagination. I knew the timeline of events. I just had to put it down. So I think it took about a week only to put the story down, just a skeleton, and then start throwing things in, more details and more details and more details. And when I finally met Aoife, Aoife Spilan Hings, the director, I thought, I have a great thing. This is amazing. But then I was like, oh, my God, there is so much missing there. When she started asking me questions and asking me to, you know, expand things, to, to put in more meat, to elaborate, to, to go back into my own past, to, to create this character by finding areas from my own world, from my own childhood to, to put into the play. And that's when the character started emerging because I didn't have a character. I had a story, but the character came afterwards. Liriana and I met in 2012, Originally, we had been set up on what we came to call an artistic blind date between a mutual friend uh, who basically said, I remember the conversation that I had with him where he said, listen, are you interested in directing film? And I said, yes. And he said, well, listen, I have a young writer and actor who is interested in writing a screenplay based on experiences that she has heard about um, working in lap dancing clubs. Broken Promised Land is a story of Stefica, a Croatian girl who changes her name into Thea to sound more modern. She comes from Croatia and she wants to live in America. So she embarks on this journey through Italy and Japan and finally Ireland, working as a lap dancer to achieve her dream of living in the United States. So I met this girl who worked for an agency through an ad and I was talking to her and she seemed lovely and she seemed so happy about doing what she's doing. Uh, she looked great, she sounded great and she said, yeah, it's all arranged, you know, you just we just send your details, it's all clear, it's all legal, it's all legitimate and it's not dangerous. So I went to Italy, I got into this club, I expected glamour and lights, suddenly I saw graffiti and everything a bit more darker than I thought. Uh, I remember how scared and shy I was, you know, just kind of, I don't know, just, just feeling really shy. So I, I, I put my clothes on, my, my outfit, and I went out and I just sat in the corner for a while waiting until people approached me and nobody was really approaching me. And then I had to approach this group of Italian guys who didn't speak any English and 
I had to learn a couple of words and I was just going and repeating words that I had to repeat, you know, saying, lavore, si, si, nice, dance. So that's kind of, you know, just learning a couple of words got me into the whole thing. But it went well. It went well. Uh, we were driven by the manager to the club and back. And during the day, we could go shopping, go for coffees. And I, I made my 300 euros and I went back home. When we had our first meeting, Mariana mentioned that she had also written a one-woman play about this subject. First of all, I knew very little about Mariana in general because we were just getting to know each other. But also, she wasn't open about the fact that this was actually work that she had done. When I got back home, I had this suitcase with all these things and I had to hide it and I didn't know what to do with it. And, um, you know, I, all these out, out, like I only had few outfits, but still, you know, my mom always used to look after my room and clean everything when I'm gone. And I had to make sure that she doesn't see any of it. And we also took pictures of us dancing on the pole and looking pretty and sexy. So I didn't want my mother to see it. When we first were talking, it was general. And as we started talking, and especially as we started developing the play, and I remember maybe summertime 2012 or, or autumn of 2012, we were sitting in the Irish Theatre Institute in a, in a room we were using to workshop in there for a few days. And it was funny how we were working and we were working, and yet there seemed to be somewhere that I couldn't go. And there were some kinds of questions that weren't kind of coming up uh, with answers, as we might expect. And we kind of took lunch and I remember coming back and Mariana said to me, you know, uh, I want to tell this to you in confidence, but uh, this is actually based on my life. I heard about Japan. I answered an ad and everything was organized. Everything seemed clear. This was a different me now. This was like about becoming a woman. This was about, you know feeling responsible and feeling in charge, even in that kind of situation. So I came home and I took that, this is like a job. It's like being trained, as somebody said, like like a horse for a, a competition. Suddenly I was like going jogging. I was like looking after my body, looking after my hair, looking after my looks. I was preparing myself to go and to, to be trained well for the for the journey. And so I went. And when I went to Japan, you know, I was I was so fit. I remember doing an hour gym every day, doing sit-ups, lying my head down in, in a gym thing, doing like so many sit-ups and running for 40 minutes. And a year later, my Australian friend said to me, oh my God, when I saw you in Japan, you had such a, the best physique I've seen because I was like so trained. I thought this is the job. I, I took that job more as some kind of a personal improvement rather than the sleazy part of it. And even making money, let's say going around, talking to people, I improved my English, I improved my acting skills, but uh, my communication skills, you just met a lot of people and you just heard these stories and you communicated. And um, I think, you know, it, it, it kind of benefited me in a lot of ways. And sometimes, you know, I would give myself targets. I would say, right, today it's Saturday. You have to have 30 tokens by the end of the night. So if you had like 25, you just worked extra hard to get that five. So it was, it's like a job, just a job in which it's kind of like a sales job, you know, you make as much as you make. It was a very important moment for me as an artist to realise that that sense that I had had of, we're not quite connecting the dots. It, that instinct that I had had, she confirmed for me and explained why, which was that we, there was a story here that she was still unsure about the safety of revealing. And so that started to be a conversation between us and we started developing the piece in those terms. 
But at that stage, we still hadn't reached a point where we had decided to make it explicitly about Mariana's life, based on Mariana's life. So then I saw Ireland. I arrived, I got a bus to the city centre, and I didn't know where exactly I was going, but I rang the number, as far as I remember, and then, yeah, the taxi, oh, the taxi just brought me to the place, where the place was, which was in Parnell Street. And when I entered, I saw a girl in a shower. Again, still, we were talking amongst ourselves openly, but not to the growing team that we had started building, like the producer Matt Smith, who came on board, and Zia Holly, our designer. But slowly and slowly, the conversation was developing, the piece was developing, and we were finding on a really practical level that talking in terms of press coverage, in terms of press release, in terms of all these really nuts and bolts things, how are we pitching this piece? And I definitely felt on my own side that there was a huge ethical question coming up for me. After seeing the girl in an electric shower, I was shown around. They said, if you want to bring your stuff, you, you, you can get a taxi, go to Clunsilla. Girls will finish the shifts. You'll see everyone later. I was like, great. This is how things work here. And then we were all driven to our home in Clunsilla in a semi-detached house where we, there was a drunk Russian girl like who fell asleep on the floor. She was about middle age. And I think she's been in this for a while. And, you know, so I was like, all right, we'll keep her alone. So I met all these friendly, friendly girls in Japan. And I was like, I thought the world is just like that wherever you go. I arrive to Clunsilla house, I unpack my bags, I leave a message. Hi girls, so lovely to meet you, smiley face, see you in the morning. I wake up in the morning, I go to the kitchen and there's like a group of three girls who are just sitting there. I, I think they were from Russia, they weren't talking and they were just looking at me. I was like, hi, how is everyone? And they were like, yes, no, they just didn't speak. So I was like, okay. And that's how it was. By that stage, I've already paid somebody 3,000 euro, you know, with another 3,000 to follow. So I was there as an Italian girl who was actually, you know, half Croatian. She never lived in Italy. It's just that her parents, her one of her parents is Italian. So I think they were, you know, very happy to get take that story. They didn't mind. We had all of these things to think about, all of these things of safety, of settling into this as your actual home. And suddenly we're throwing at this idea that this, you know, which could be so quickly thrown into the papers, put into terrible headlines, we're going, how are we pitching this as a piece? We've been able to develop in the safety of our little cell as a director and a writer actor. But how do we put this on stage in the context of the world that we live in, in a way that is humane? that is truthful? And how do you make a piece that's about a woman, about a young, young, young woman who's putting her, her naked body on stage, who's maybe being exploited at various points to various degrees, who's making certain kinds of choices to various degrees, who's getting certain kinds of capital, certain kinds of benefits, payments, and yet also taking huge hits? How do we negotiate all of this? And that's how the Broken Promised Land came about, from the need to give voices to um, foreign characters. And I'd like to expand this in the future, so, so we move away from the usual stock characters of cleaners and prostitutes and, you know, vampires, uh, which, which are great characters, but maybe move into a bit more subtle characters as well and give voices that maybe have not that. The biggest thing that you walk away with is having had an encounter with a genuinely honest and brave person 
who's taken on this completely unknown and unknowable world, both geographically and in terms of every level of humanity. And she has come out the other end really knowing who she is. In that edition of In the Wings, we heard the voices of writer and actor Miriana Renderlich and director Aoife Spillan-Hinks sharing their thoughts and experiences about working on Broken Promised Land by Miriana, which is going to be next week's Drama on One. The producer of In the Wings is Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One. Well, now it's time for another taste of the ultimate audio cog sheet, consisting of no less than 66 podcasts on King Lear. Shh. The podcasts include scene study masterclasses, as well as teachers and students sharing premium exam content, sample answers, theme explainers, favourite quotes and the King Lear quiz, where, just like in The Leaving, all your favourite questions come up. I'm Alan Stanford and welcome to Lear in Longford. My name is Colette Kenny and I'm from Carrigallon Vocational School in County Leitrim. This scene was a turning point as well because Gloucester realises in this scene that um, Edgar is his son that believes in him and Edmund was the one who like, was two-faced against him. There's some great lines in this scene. One of them would be when Gloucester realises that Edgar was his proper son and he says, Oh my follies, then Edgar was abused. King gods, forgive me that and prosper him. He wants what's best for Edgar now and he realises that Edgar may not forgive him and he's not looking for forgiveness, but uh, he just wants what's best for him. My name is Ashling Riley and I'm from Kerrygallan Vocational School. Because I would not see thy cruel nails pluck out his poor old eyes, nor thy fierce sister in his anointed flesh stick boorish fangs. The animal imagery that is so prevalent throughout the play is again used here. Gloucester is being interrogated by Regan as to why he has sent Lear to Dover. By now, Gloucester has become wise to the treachery of both she and her sister. He has sent Lear to Dover to protect him from the viciousness of these women. The imagery he uses is violent. The sisters are portrayed as vicious and base animals, tearing out their father's eyes or ripping his flesh with their sharp fangs. Lear himself compares his daughters to ravaging animals when he compares their ungratefulness to the sharp fangs of a serpent. My name is Conor Egan. I'm a six-year student in Belvedere College. My favourite quote from the play King Lear is, I'd rather lose the battle than that sister should lose in him and me. This is a quotation from Goneril at the beginning of Act 5, Scene 1. It is set aside from the group so as they are unable to hear her. It conveys the bitter rivalry that is, exists between Regan and Goneril over the now Earl of Gloucester, Edmund. I feel that this is a significant quote as Gonnell is underlining her devotion to Edmund by stating that she would not care if the battle was lost as long as she had the man she loves. That was a taste of Drama on One's ultimate audio cog sheet with 66 podcasts on King Lear. You can find Drama on One Study Guide podcast on rte.ie slash podcasts or search Lear in Lockdown in your podcast app. And to listen back to other dramas, take a look at rte.ie slash drama on one. The series producer of Drama on One is Kevin Reynolds. 
Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on one.